Welcome aboard the Beef Station Deep Space Probe. It's episode 14. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Here we are, rocketing through the stars on a journey through space and time. This week, we've stopped up along the way to review brand new Spike Lee movie, Black Klansman. Mm. And as promised last week, we uh, had a little tease of the fact that you're doing a little summary of the Melbourne International Film yeah. Festival, which is well and well and truly in the past by now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but for all the people that are looking forward to some three-week post, uh, <laughs> post-festival post coverage... Myth. The myth come down. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we promised to say that we, we always discuss that we're going to do this and then always forget to at the beginning of the episode. I'm doing it now. Be funny. <laughs> we always forget. Um, we are going to be talking about the Black Klansman, which is a brand new movie that's directed by Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. Came out in cinemas. It's in cinemas at the moment. Uh, in correct. whatever it is, August of 2018, as we record this, we're going to be spoiling this film, but we'll give you some fair spoilers yep. Yep. beforehand. Yep. Yep. I reckon if you're really interested in seeing Black Klansman and you don't want to know anything, obviously, I'd say probably give this episode a miss because there might be some stuff that it's fun to sort of discover along the way that would be a lot more fun if you would have just watched the movie first. But if you don't care, oh. <laughs> uh, I've, I've ruined everything. <laughs> Obviously, I'd say, maybe go watch the movie first and then come back and listen to the episode. Um, but if you don't really care, hopefully what we have to say might entice you to go and watch the film. We won't spoil some big stuff at the end until we give you a fair warning, yeah? I'll just cool? Give, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give a preface up the top. Um, I think... I, I, <laughs> think you're like, I'll give some quick spoilers up the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just get the big twist at the end out of the way. Yeah. Um, go, go see this movie. Um, yeah. Everyone, the, everyone listening to this, go see this movie. This might be a, a bit of a comparison in poor taste, but in the same way that I think everyone has a bit of a social responsibility to go and see things like... Um, Nanette, if you haven't watched that yet, like Hannah yeah. Gatsby's stand-up routine, like that's a culturally significant piece of art that's getting a lot of traction in in social movements at the moment. This is mm. another culturally significant piece of art that's getting a lot of social traction. Yeah, and I think that especially when uh, a lot of our listeners um, probably have nothing to do with the culture that that this comes from, like yeah, um, you know, most of us are Australian, not American, um, <laughs> and this is a movie about you know, um, I suppose racism in America. Um, but I think it's important. Yeah. So go see it. And I was, my my point in saying that is, um, that I I think it is a movie that benefits from sort of going in cold. Yeah. Well, Um, see, this is something that reminded me of what we were talking about last week when we briefly touched on some of the Melbourne International Film Festival stuff you went to see. When you were talking about that, uh, veganism, Eating animal, animals. eating yeah. animals film. That's right. That uh, Natalie Portman was involved with, mm. and I, I think I said it sort of several times. Yeah, but like, is it preachy? And like, I for one, wholeheartedly support vegetarianism from a environmentalist point of view. Mm. Um, but I suppose what I meant by that, and what this reminds me of as well, is when people say like, "Oh, it's like a social commentary type thing." A part of me goes like, "Ah, oh, yeah," but does that mean it's not going to be fun? Like, I think this film, for the for the most part, is a fantastic, engaging really fun to watch 70s cop film. Yeah. And you won't really sort of pick up on the social commentary. It's not as if it rams it down your throat. It doesn't... I think the reason why we both enjoyed it is because in a very artistic, very interesting way, it weaves its social commentary into what is a fantastic, often funny, often action-packed mm. cop film in the 70s. And it's based on a true story as well. So it's interesting. And it's not it's, it's not something like, oh, you have to go watch the inc- An Inconvenient Truth where like... Mm half of the audience is going to hate it. Like, I think this film is entertaining. Even if it didn't have 
the the bits of social commentary that it does, I reckon it would also be a very entertaining film. Yeah. If you know what I mean. I mean, to, to be real for a second, though, fuck off with that perspective of like if something's confrontational, then it's not interesting and it has yeah, to be no, fun. Yeah, no, sure. Because I, like, yeah. I'm real sick of people like opting out of participating in the society that they're in because it's not entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know? yeah, but I mean, so go see the movie. There's for that, but I mean, you, you can participate in like political. You can be aware of political and social issues. That's not enough. Without though. then like watching, it. yeah, but then it's not like it's your duty to watch this bit of this movie. I think so people that you do understand. have a duty to familiarize um, themselves with issues. Yeah, you like can this. familiarize yourself with exactly with thematic content, but I think yeah. often like what I mean is that often like the mode of delivery can be. If it's not done well, yeah. it can be a bit of a bore to watch, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like, I mean, this is an objectively be... great movie, but I, I, I really uh, <laughs> have a lot of contempt for people that are like, oh, that's political, and I don't want to go and see something political, because well, when I, I go to the movies, yeah. I just want to zone out. It's I, like, I don't think you, it's that. As a citizen of the world, like you have a fucking responsibility to familiar so- familiarize yourself and, and be, be across news issues, and anyone that's doing that, anyone yeah. that's not doing that isn't taking up their responsibility. I, I mean, um, I hear you. This, this is a, a sweet pill to swallow in terms of like becoming more informed about um about social issues like racism i i I suppose what i mean is often if you have a film that's described as like a social thing that is an interesting and people say oh you've got to see it i think it's very easy to mess that type of thing up and Mm. not do it well and then it just feels like people are just ramming their agenda down your throat and this film doesn't do that what i mean is this film is fantastic and often i think people are too too ready to just say, "Oh, you got to watch this," and the film itself, or whatever it is, whatever pe- bit of content it is that's delivering this social message, doesn't necessarily deliver it in the most engaging way. I think just... you have a problem with bad movies. Like, I don't <laughs> think you have a problem with <laughs> well, social yeah, yeah. issues. You know? I mean, it's like if something's the, it, the the idea of something being having a forceful message and something yeah. being bad are different ideas. Like well, this, yeah, this I mean, film does have a forceful message. All, all it's I'm, extremely overt in its yeah. signaling and tone. Yeah, sure. But uh, like, I get what you're, I well. get what you're saying. Well, yeah, exactly. exactly. All I mean is, if, if, so, if someone, if someone were to say to me, "Oh, this dude has gone out to make a film that addresses this specific social issue, and he very consciously addresses that issue in the film," part of me is always hesitant to be like, "Oh." Is it a good piece of art or is it just a vehicle to deliver that message? Because too many times I've watched shit that's just a vehicle to deliver that message and I'm like, fine, I get it. But like, you know, you know, if there's some band that has an album that's all about, you know, um, how great it is to take drugs or whatever, you can do that in a great way with all this great psychedelic pop type stuff. Yeah. Or there can just be some fucking stoner rock about how great weed is for 45 minutes. And both of them are a valid message, but it's about like how you in an artistic way, use the art form to convey your message in a way that's also enjoyable. Like something can't just be enjoyable off its own merit just because it just because it has something to say politically. Yeah, like, but I think, I think it also that, has to be good. And all like, I meant is this film, Black Klansman, has something to say politically, but it's also on in its own merit a great piece of art. Yeah. And I think that it's those enjoyable. Two things, I, I just feel like those two things just because something has a message, the implication that those mean two it's inherently good affect each I mean. other on a sliding. No, but it also doesn't mean it's inherently bad. No, and I, I just think mean a shitload of people yeah. hear that and go like, oh, "I'm not going to see it then because I'm just not interested in being hit in the face with that well, sort of stuff." And I think the problem it's is like, that a majority like, of shit like this is often a bit, a bit tacky, is what I mean. Um, and it's yeah, more, but again, than, more often than not. But again, not. that's an issue with the quality of the with the yeah. quality of the film, not not an issue with the quality of. Um, yeah, when, it, when it's good, obviously I'm happy because it's good. All also, I mean, yeah. I think when something is highly charged and political like this, people really 
are much more willing to try and poke holes in it because yeah. I think that especially, you know, audiences that this is targeting and this is having a, you know, a, a pretty decent go at um, white people with shitty opinions. Yeah. I think a lot of the time people will look at that and they'll say, yeah, but that was shit. And actually what that lets me do is that lets me feel better about my own shitty opinions and not have to confront them because the art piece is being criticized and therefore its point is being invalidated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if it's a shitty piece of art, like, okay, say there's a bad anti-smoking ad. Yeah. Smokers will look at it and go, yeah, fuck that. Though. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's going to be like less effective. So yeah, I, no, and, no, and it's not that they shouldn't mm. not smoke. It's that, there, it's it's that it's it's counterproductive messaging. Is no, I just mean more o- more often than not, things like that feel a bit preachy, and people are yeah, turned I off by that. And I, don't I think, think this so. Isn't I think the people case. become sensitive when they know that they're being targeted. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, often so, people don't want to be told they're wrong. People don't want to be told that they're change. passively People rape. don't want to be changed. Yeah. People don't want to be criticized exactly. for being told, yeah. "Oh, you didn't think you're racist, but you're actually racist," or whatever. Yeah. And so, so I'm yeah. calling you out if you're avoiding anything like this. And I don't think any of our listeners are because I think most of them are probably. But I don't think there's anything to call out. I think it's a good movie in its own right as well. Like there's nothing to. No, it's not. It's not like oh, you I'm making see a this. side point. I'm getting sidetracked. Yeah, okay, but my my point is that like don't avoid things because they're political. Fucking go and see them because they're political. Yeah. You know, like you 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 should. Everyone should yeah. be doing that. I'd, it's time to fucking rise up. I agree. I suppose what I was saying is a film shouldn't be able to rest on its laurels of like, well, sure, it's a crap detective movie, but it makes an interesting point about yeah, racism. And, and I it's agree like, well, no, that. I would not be recommending this movie if the detective-y cop good, uh, cop 70s story was shit. Mm. If that was shit, I'd be like, well, I'm sure he's making a valid point about racism in America, but the movie was boring. Yeah. So I think, should we I get, in, should we get into it a bit more? Well, instead examples. of dancing around it, should we just start talking about this? Bit? Yeah, I'm happy to. But I was just going to say, I can't think of any examples of stuff that's like ham-fisted and bad, but oh, I don't really know. I mean, trying to approach a point. A classic one that I can think about, for example, I mean, it is though. a documentary, is like an inconvenient truth. Is like, well, it's just, it's good, but it's it's like, it's it's Al basically a recording, It's it is Al Gore. I'm thinking of Bowling for Columbine. Fuck. Yeah, it's Sorry. a um, an inconvenient truth. It's re- it's good and it's interesting. And it's yeah. Al Gore. It's like a videoy, documentaryized version of a slideshow that Al Gore often gives at big conferences and things, where he sort of shows you all these graphs about climate change and shows you why it's a certainty and shows you all these things and ge- delivers the facts in perhaps an engaging way. But I think stereotypically. It's a it's a it's a film where it's a lot of like you're an idiot and climate change is real. You're an idiot and climate change is real. Here's another graph that shows that you're stupid and climate change is real. And yeah. it's a it's a bit of a rams it down your throat type. I message, think which I don't want to get too much. I think into, that's absolutely like, a problem with the audience and not the content. But anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway. So this Black, one Black doesn't need to be discussed in that manner because it's good <laughs> in both. Came out in 2018. So. It's a film set in the uh, sort of seen early mid kind of 70s. 70s, yeah. 70s. <laughs> I don't know how qualified I'd be looking. It's definitely early 70s rather than late 70s. <laughs> they had funky cars and long collars. It was yeah. the 70s. Yeah. It's based on a true story. It's about this bloke, Ron something something, who was the first Swanson, ever... Right? <laughs> no. No. No, Swanson. Ron Swanson. No, but his name starts with an S. Fuck. Because yeah. I second-guessed myself multiple times thinking, Stallworth. Stallworth. I, I was it's, like, it's it a, starts It's with a an plot S. point that we know, they say his full name multiple Ron times. Ron Stallworth. So. Ron Stallworth, who was in real life, one of the first, if not the first, black cop in Colorado. Yeah. Um, and isn't it, the, the the real person's name is actually also Ron Stoller. Okay, there you go. And, and he's promoted... Written, this is based on a book <laughs> that he wrote about this stuff. Yeah, anyway. and so he's... Exactly, it's based on based on his biography, I guess. Um, and it's... Uh, he's promoted to, like, an, an undercover playing college detective role in the police force so mm. that he can go undercover and investigate 
uh, local black rights activists that people are worried might be involved well, he in doesn't, some he more doesn't, violent stuff. That's not his intention at first. So yeah. he wants to be an intelligence officer. And yeah. the first thing that he gets stuck with is investigating the local black student scene. Yeah. I think this is the, I think he, he probably pitches himself when he asks for this promotion, the idea being like, oh, there's no other cops here that would be able to fit in in these kinds of scenes, so mm. I'm uniquely positioned. That's the thing. And so most of the, yeah, the, begin, the yep. beginning of the film is Ron Stallworth focusing on multiple investigations to do with racism in his community. The yep. first one is this black panthery kind of investigation of this local sort of black students union that have mm. got this sort of uh, speaker in that is uh, very outspoken about black rights and the white police are worried that he's going to incite violence. And and so the, and then the other one is uh, Ron Stolworth investigating the local KKK chapter. Yeah. So yeah. just to go back to that, because I want to break that down a little more, because there's, so those are sort of, I would say that that like the first one of those is, is a little bit of a bump in the narrative. And then the second yeah. one forms the dominant rest of the narrative. Yeah. So the first one is kind of your introduction to Ron Stolworth as an intelligence operative. I really like that then, it f- followed multiple story, multiple storylines yeah, in it, the film. It, it had like it almost had like a films usually follow like a three act arc. It's like you've got <laughs> you've got like I don't know what the terminology is, but structure like, three yeah, act structure. Sure, yeah. um, but it is a plot arc. So mm. yeah, you've got like the you know the setup the the. Um, I'm forgetting the, the name. <laughs> this is real, like grade school shit. For anyone that's like, does if anyone doesn't know the structure of a story, can you think of the terms? I'm blanking on the terms. It's like a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right. Okay. I didn't <laughs> want to say the beginning, middle, and end because that sounds dumb. But it's like yep, the you're introduction, right. the res- the complication, and the resolution. Right. Thank you. Those were the words that I was looking for. Yeah. So yeah. Um. What this does is it kind of has a mini introduction, complication, and resolution in that the first investigation, and then mm. it has another one well, in the investigation. There's, of the, there's multiple the investigations that he's following, so it kind of feels like you're watching a cop show, which mm. I think is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right so, down to like all the cool costumes and cars and a bit of the language as well. Yeah. There's this great music. If we the can talk score, about the music straight the out of the game. The score for this. So there's a soundtrack and the score. Um, another little bit of uh, yeah. bit of film knowledge. So <laughs> when you're talking about the soundtrack of a film, that's licensed music that's used during the film. When you're talking about the score, that's music that's composed for the film. That's and it's usually classical and, and orchestrated. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The score for this film is fucking great. It has yeah. one of the best themes that I have heard in, in years and I don't and think I've ever watched a movie where, like, the main... I mean, outside of, like, classics, like, maybe Star Wars or something, where there's a main riff that comes back. So, like, you know, the character will be sort of doing his thing in the scene and the main riff will play again. They play it this happens, sort of, like... but it's rare. It's kind of like... Yeah. Like... 15 times throughout the film which is really cool it really sort of sets this nice 70s mood a lot of the music is this cool laid back 70s sort of guitar riffs kind of like I want to say Santana but I've never listened to Santana it reminded me of like (laughs) almost like Hendrix yeah 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 or like some slow Pink Floyd type stuff yeah Um, it's like psychedelic rock sort of stuff but but in the in the shape of a film theme you gotta hear it like it's very it's a a fucking great riff really cool music and there's another piece at the end that's also incredibly distinctive yeah um, that's been sort of um, an odd earworm it's been stuck in my head for days but not the type of music that you think would get stuck in. <laughs> this guy, um, and I'll have to look up what the what the guy's name is, but the dude who that did the soundtrack is a pretty pretty proficient uh, jazz musician. 
and he's done. He's worked with this director before. Yeah, yeah. Um, Spike Lee before. So I'd never seen um, a Spike Lee film. I looked up his uh, filmography over the last sort of fifteen years. He's released a shitload of films, of which I've seen like none of them. Yeah. Um, he's done a couple films. He did a Malcolm X film with Denzel Washington a few years ago. I think he's also pretty famous yeah, for right. doing some film clips. He did uh, Michael Jackson film clips. He's done a couple of film clips for NWA, I think. Right. So he's okay. definitely done a lot of big stuff, but I'm surprised this is the first film where he's had seen because I've never seen anything mm. of his. Mm. I've given you a very adequate amount of time to Google. Oh, the you've name given of me soundtrack. so much time. Okay, so this guy's <laughs> name is Terence Blanchard, the guy that does the soundtrack, and uh, yeah, I reckon he's composed some music that's like on par with, um, or uh, you know, people who are doing really amazing stuff like Johan Johansson, who is doing the music for Arrival. And yeah, like. Well, he's, Hans he's, Zimmer is like a pretty famous film scorer yeah, who but comes up with motifs and a lot of music that really invokes um, elements of the film, like mm. how you get Inception that has like the music that really invokes this sense of time. And that yeah, kind of exactly. And I feel like where those guys... <laughs> the shittiest description. No, but where those... <laughs> yeah. Um, where those guys uh, have taken like orchestral kind of like... Um, huge grand scale classical musical style yeah. to apply to these immense scapes. Yeah. Um this guy, Terence Blanchard, has uh <laughs> had to tap back to find out. <laughs> Terence Terence Blanchard um has really mastered making the soundtrack of this film that truly belongs in like seventies regional state America. Yeah. I've you... independently gone and listened to the soundtrack of this thing. That's yeah. how, that's how kind of good it is. I think we said that when, so when we did our Kill Bill episode, we said like a lot of the stuff. Was like, oh, it's classic Western. Even though neither was ever ever watched a Western. Yeah, it's a feeling. I, I feel like yeah, exactly. It captures like a certain mood. I feel yeah. like in the same way, like Black Klansman. There's a lot of the times we're like, oh, that's classic seventies cop movie, and I've never seen one. It makes yeah. me want to go back and watch. And I don't like, know. Definitely um, like black exploitation. Yeah, those sorts of films. That's a whole that genre I've never touched. Maybe we should do one of those. Or maybe we definitely shouldn't. I think we could. I, I've heard. I reckon I've I've heard of coffee before, C O double F Y, which is a famous is a black movie, exploitation it? right, movie. Okay. It's referenced in the film. They actually show a film poster of it. Yeah. So they have a section in this, or well, multiple sections in this movie that are um, is clearly echoing that. and uh, or, or satirizing black yeah. exploitation. Is Lethal films, Weapon so. the sort of film we could go in and watch? I feel like it might be right. Yeah. That's a cop movie. It's got a black guy in it. No, I, I don't. I don't know what kind of genre they all fall into. I think it's it probably eighties. It was a, yeah. Like, it was a, like a very specific phenomenon. We should go watch some classic cop the, films. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, it's, classic it's, cop films. <laughs> Short story. Yeah, classic films are cool. Um, I thought that the lighting in this film was really cool. Mm. So there's a scene specifically. Oh, sorry. Hang on. Yeah, Before yeah, sorry, we get yep. stuck into that, so let's come back to the lighting. But I just wanted to say, so the first arc of his investigation, he's investigating. Uh, th- it's not a his. Uh, it's not a uh, fictional character. It's a yeah. real guy um, who was called Stokely Carmichael. Yeah. And he changed his name to Kwame Ture. Yeah. Um, this guy was a uh, big, big name in the. Black Power Movement, um, and, yeah. and he was involved in the Black Panther Party. And uh, it's interesting that I, I'm not sure if this is an element that was included in the real story or if this is Spike Lee's augmentation, but um, Stokely Carmichael, or Kwame Ture, was a real dude, and he was, at the time, kind of being pegged as, like, maybe the next Martin Luther King. Right. Like, he was a big, big, big name um, who was getting a lot of support and, uh, and and coverage behind him. And the interesting thing about having Ron Stallworth kind of tail him is that this guy, what what we see is um, Kwame Ture comes to the town, he's, there's a big student union meeting, he speaks at it, 
and then um, gives a lot of black power type messages. Yeah, like a about really moving, moving thing that um, that I don't know if that was taken from an actual speech of his because yeah. it could have been. Yeah. Um, or if Spike Lee wrote that, should have looked that up. <laughs> but but long story short, we that's the uh, kind of after that night, um, he leaves the town, and that's the end of that that character arc yeah. in the film. But what actually happened to Kwame Ture is that um, he was killed. Um, and a lot of people kind of, he was being followed by, um, or, or, or really heavily surveilled by, um, FBI and the COINTELPRO. Yeah. Um, and there, there was a lot of suspicion that, um, he was kind of identified as a threat to American democracy and, um, yeah, care of. there's a lot of that kind of messaging no, from was, the cops this in this film shit. as well. He was being followed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, you got to watch this guy. He seems dangerous. Yeah. And what he's saying is quite reasonable messages about civil rights. Yeah. No. And then. So it was interesting because when you introduced that plot arc, you said that both the cases that he's involved in are about racism in America. Yeah. But I think the, f- the first one is heavily inverted from the second the one. The first one is like white it's, people it's that are suspicious of these, yeah. this, this, this black activist. Yeah. There's an obvious portmanteau there that I'm... Black <laughs> activist <laughs> um, is good shit. Yeah. And then the second one is one that he's, uh, that Ron Stallworth, the cop, is mm. very sort of self-motivated to mm. pursue himself. Yeah. And uh, what we do get a really quick nod to, because there's lots of, this movie is covering so much ground over the course of its yeah. action that sometimes they they have to acknowledge phenomena by just like dropping a term or a name or having it be a little sentence and then moving on from it. And one thing yeah. that, that's really uh, cool that it does is it uses this first plot arc to um, give a little nod to the idea that the Black Panther Party was a communist organization and that back at the time leading into the Cold War, um, there was huge amounts of anti-communist um, public sentiment. Yeah. And often what would happen is they would use communism as a dog whistle for racism and it would enable um white power structures to continue to suppress black power movements like, oh, they're communists, by saying anti-communism rhetoric yeah when it was actually really that they just wanted to keep you know um authoritarian power over over people of color so yeah, yeah. really cool that they use that little well that spike lee's chosen to have that little bump at the start yeah. before it gets into the kkk arc because yeah. I think it really contextualizes all of the rest of the film really well and it, yeah. it what it does is it serves to set up a lot of the internal turmoil that Ron Starworth as a as a black police officer investigating his local community experiences because he's constantly caught between his identities. Well, yeah, so he's interacting a lot with the black community and they're constantly talking about all oh, the, the pigs and about yeah, how they so hate policemen. Yeah, he meets this girl at the, at the Kwame Ture meeting who's the head of the student union. Who hates police. And she's police a black student and, and she calls all cops pigs and, and clearly is, um, probably rightfully so, very wary of the bureaucratic structures that are in place. Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it, you really feel Ron's pain where he's stuck between, like, he volunteered to be a policeman and he yeah. really wants to be a part of that he believes in the cause yeah. to do the right thing and he help the community in the cause of but he's also movement. got this solidarity yeah. for his for the black community Brothers in Colorado sisters. Springs yeah. yeah where um they hate policemen and don't trust that they're ever mm. got their best interests in mind so that's a really it's really interesting to get a perspective into that and you'd like to hope that part of it's maybe based in reality considering the film was based on his autobiography yeah 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 fingers crossed <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I think I'm gonna have to read it because I would like to know more about what happened. I mean, you never know how, how really reliable biography stuff is, but 
I'm sure I'd be interested in autobiography, but yeah, yeah. The, the lighting was really cool, though. Yeah, in this yeah, film, moving back what to I the lighting, to, yes. So, it, what, what reminded me of it was because in that, during the speech that this uh, Black Power guy delivers. Yeah, I was about to talk about that scene. There's yeah, a yeah. lot of very distinct sort of shots where <laughs> all he could think of was saying that it's like looks like portrait lighting, but that's only because the new iPhone has that mode. But it was like oh, basically yeah. like um, it was like these brightly lit shots of audiences' faces as they're looking up in admiration but of this guy speaking. But it's the whole not, background was totally audience. black. Yeah, it's just yeah, you're right. It's, so the, it's like there's no background faces, yeah. and, um, and it shifts the camera so the faces move around the screen. Yeah, yeah really weird was, kind of like. <laughs> Like, it was like clearly, that Queen music video almost. Yeah, it was clearly like breaking the cinematic form um, where it wasn't just meant to be. It was meant to be intentionally very disruptive to the to the scene as you were watching it because they're in a like a crowded, dimly lit club yeah. and these people are, you know, Ron Stallworth's Well, I think it kind of forces you to red, listen. Red Sorry, lit. Yeah. It's, he's lit in red and yeah. a lot of the lights are red and the walls are red. But then when these audience members' faces come up as they're listening to mm. Kwame Ture speak, they're white lit. You know? I think it's a good way of making you like actually listen to what the speaker is saying rather than just like watching it as part of the scene in the film. Like actually paying, actually yeah. actively paying attention and analyzing what it is that the guy is saying from a critical point of view, so that when the policemen then go and dismiss it, mm. you can be like, "Well, no, we just actually fucking like watch and that scene." And he's talking about like definitions of beauty and how like um, in the society as a as a black person you're taught to to think that you're not beautiful and and how like they need to reclaim a definition like of, we have of beauty and large and, lips and wide noses and we're yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and, and, and as as he's speaking about that, you're getting these, as you say, portrait-like perspectives of, of yeah. people of colored faces, and it's really, really a great experience to hear someone talking from such a, a, a passionate perspective of beauty about about people like his people. Yeah, um, as you're seeing really crisp visual representations of of really beautiful people up on the screen, it was very cool. Which is very another cool. example. Of, yeah, which is exactly, I and mean, it's another example of like how the film delivers this really cool perspective and message in a really artistic way that's genuinely a great piece of filmmaking. Mm. Um, like it's, it's a I think Spike Lee is an amazing director. I'd never seen any of his other films, no. but based on this film <laughs> based on this film alone, he's he's at least yeah, no, he's no, at no, least fluked it. Yeah. <laughs> and so then the second half of the film transitions to Ron who decides to call up the local chapter of the KKK who's recruiting members. And <laughs> he sees an ad in the newspaper. And, and so he, he calls up this KKK chapter and says, like, oh, I'm interested in getting some more information. Can mm. you send me some stuff? And they go, I would like to meet you. Yeah. And, and Ron, the character, is quite well-spoken and is very intelligent and verbose when he yeah, speaks. It's, a, it's and then, covered in the movie where um, the police officer's like, people are going to know when they hear you talk. Yeah. And, and Ron basically has to say, yeah, well... There's a difference, and he panders a bit. He's like, "There's a difference between like the Queen's English and, and like black, and like jive talk, yeah. which is what he says." Um, but so he's in the film. They make a point to say that he's um, like he sounds very intellectual when he speaks. Yeah. Um, and compared to the the stereotypes that the white officers place upon black people, they pro- probably think, "Oh, you're very well spoken." So he he deceives these KKK people over the phone into thinking he's white. Because really, then, uh, th- and I guess it's used as a, a as a bit of a metaphor that until you see someone's skin color, yeah, you have no way of knowing who they are. Yeah, you know, just hearing a voice over the phone, like exactly, it doesn't define what anyone is. So these people are willing to, yeah, you know, like if they saw that they were talking to a black person, <laughs> they'd be repulsed. 
but it's not because of their ideas or who they are it's or what like they're saying. It's because of their preconception of their, their, stereotypes yeah, and that. Literally just the melanin. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And so then when they have to then meet these KKK people in person to like finalize his membership and join the clan and start investigating these people in person, Adam Driver's character has to pretend to be Ron Stallworth in person. Yep. And so Adam Driver is like the, the white Ron. And, and then the actually Ron, Ron plays like yeah, yeah, plays like the black Ron. One problem I had with that from like a story point of view was like after the first time where Adam Driver meets the KKK, I didn't really understand why Black Ron was still involved. Is like, yeah, couldn't was Adam it, Driver have made yeah, the phone yeah, calls? Yeah. Adam Driver could have just made the phone calls, met the people in person, yep. and just because half of the complication of the investigation was like, oh, how are we going to keep up? Like Black Ron making the phone calls and like communicating with these people over the phone, yep. and then keep track of what he says over the phone, so Adam Driver can maintain that stuff in person, and then sound like Black Ron. It's like no, just I don't have an answer to that. That it was the weird one, bit. Was it I, like yeah? Was it literally just that there were no other? that were white at the police station that were as articulate or I don't like, know and maybe Adam Driver was, was yeah. busy or why something why was it so important that there was phone interaction yeah, and that Ron no had idea. to so that was the one bit that kind of broke me out of it but other than that it was cool and, like, and it that was kind might of have fun. been the way that it went down in real life but I mean I, obviously that was because they went down in real life but it makes you think in real maybe, life I like why did it's also useful for dramatic purposes because we get a lot of mileage out of like hearing the black, well, real Ron Stallworth talk over the phone and then seeing Adam Driver's character, whose character name is Flip. Yeah. Um, seeing Flip go and, like, have to deal with the consequences of what Ron said. So Ron will be like, oh, my dad's sick in Texas. And he fucks up and says, oh, my dad's sick in Baltimore. And yeah, like, oh, I'll pass you said it was like, Texas. Yeah. 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 Um, but other than that, it was really cool. And so the, yeah. the, the most of the film is around this investigation about the local KKK chapter. And so yeah. you get to know these KKK members and you get to see all these interactions between Adam Driver's character, who is Jewish, and... Although, obviously, he's he has to keep that under wraps. <laughs> exactly. cause, yeah. um, and then all the K- local KKK members, and they're not really, like, plotting anything significant. Like, a lot of it's just, like, meetings and mm. them, like, leading up to this big conference and they do yeah. cross burnings and I think that stuff. part of what the film says is, like, um, a lot of these people, and I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but um, an impression that I got was that a lot of these people are, are only... Um, hateful in their ideology and not in their action that, you know, kind of yeah. like to, to reduce it down and, and obviously I'm not meaning to diminish the effects here, but they talk a big game, but yeah. they don't actually do anything. They're like, actually like fat redneck pieces of shit. Like they just, and, they just um, hang out and play pool and drink. And but really, they, they're yeah. like, oh, we hate these people and we hate those exactly. people, but, but they, they actually they, do They never nothing. do it. But then what actually happens is that, um, and the real danger comes from when someone intends to follow through on those actions. It's like a radical and splinter then, of the KKK chapter yeah. who intend to follow through with a specific violent act towards the end of the film. Yeah, and then what happens is that they rally their troops behind them and that's yeah. when it turns into a full-blown movement. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but before that point, yeah, there's, I mean, it, actually, there's, we, we were reading a, um, a Vox article that was very disparaging of this film <laughs> um, because it painted the KKK members as like kind of buffoons and I think the argument was like, if you paint those people as like idiot morons, then a modern day white audience who's watching it won't see themselves in that and won't be forced to confront their own like 
their own nuanced racism. Yeah. You know, which maybe there's some validity to that, but uh, boy, it wasn't that bad. Well, I think it depends on the director's intention. And I think the film is kind of so complex in mm. its depictions of all these different things that you can, you, you, you'd have to sort of probably sit down and think about it before you sort of properly get out. Like, yeah. Whether it was a film intended to force white people to contemplate their own racism or whatever. But I think it was. I mean, definitely, yeah. yeah. But then, I just, <laughs> but I just hate where it's that. like, yeah, I don't know, one, one person's take on a film that, I, it just, that, that review kind of rubbed me the that's, wrong way. Yeah, that's fucking sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure she would have given some shit with like, fucking Tim Allen in it yeah more than one and a half stars out of five it's ridiculous so getting um, into the director yeah, the director of uh, I talked about this film a little bit last yeah. week Sorry to Bother You um, which no. is the uh, huh <laughs> no you're not bothering me man just tell oh, me right. about the no, film no no it's all good just say the name of the film um, so Sorry to Bother You yeah it's like a um, an anti-communist I meant anti-capitalist black comedy film directed by a guy called Boots Riley, <laughs> sick name. Um, and Boots Riley was a bit critical of Spike Lee for his adaptation um, because he said, like, oh, why is a cop the one that has to rescue black people from, like, this racist force? And, like, you know, there's obviously still issues with um, with police brutality being disproportionately affected mm. by race in, in the States. And, and it was kind of like, look, I agree, but um, it's based on fact it's right? a true like, story exactly <laughs> like how much can then, he ron stallworth was a detective yeah. well, how much could he not i feel like the criticism there isn't like oh it's based on truth so that's how we gotta tell it but it's yeah. like yeah sure but if you were choosing to make a film that you wanted to make this point about racism with there are probably multiple stories that you could have picked or multiple stories you could have written so yeah. why did you pick the story where the hero is the cop yeah, yeah conversely yeah, I and i think we're getting into territory that we're tremendously unqualified to be covering as two white dudes yeah um i think that to some degree, you could probably view it as empowering that it's this black cop that overcomes these so. stereotypes in his society. As a human story, yeah. it's this black cop who is the first black cop in this community that overcomes these stereotypes in yeah. order to help his community and the community as a whole. Mm. I think it's a really interesting story, and I think it's one worth telling. And it was yeah, really, sure. I personally found it compelling. Um, yeah, and I guess, yeah. like, okay, so following on from that and getting, let's let's dig in. Um, but a but a scratch deeper, yeah. Um, which is going to be accompanied by a pretty massive spoiler warning. Yeah. Um, so if you're, are we going to get into that just yet? Uh, well, I reckon so. Because well, if I, we're talking about the impact of the yeah. film, well, I reckon first of all, on a lighter note, I think that um, you get so in introducing, sorry, introducing these characters that are parts of the murders of the KKK. I think is a really interesting way that he starts to introduce this social commentary because he really sort of shows these people as being comically horrifically racist. Like, they watch this crazy I want to know, I want to hear a count on the number of times that N-Mod was sent in this film. Yeah, and it's so they insane. watched... It what would was be the name the of hundreds. That, yeah, what was the name of that movie, that like that 40s or 50s movie? Birth of a Nation. So there's this film, uh, The Birth... Wasn't, I don't think it was 40s, I think it was earlier than that. Yeah. It was like black and white some, film with, with Some old black and white silent movie called The Birth mm. of a Nation that has like KKK people riding in on horses and there's this whole scene that's really intense that with these movie KKK is, people is, like cheering on the KKK as yeah. they watch it. There's that this movie is, is credited with uh, reigniting the KKK in America. Mm. Um, um, I, I, I think as an organization they were really petering out yeah. and then that was a big like bit of nationalist rhetoric yeah. that, um, that kind of said, here's a, you know, in a, in a similar way to 
I think it just scapegoated black people for a lot of the issues with the country. Yeah. And a lot of nationalistic people could like kind of get behind it and say, hey, yeah, that is the problem. And then here's the solution. It's the KKK. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's this whole, there's, there's several scenes where they say the most horrifically racist shit and yeah. people were almost like laughing in the audience because oh, it was so comically it's hard racist. To process. And uh, you can definitely see the way the, the these like really racist lines are delivered. They are kind of comic in like how shocking they are. Yeah, it's like and why you're not even like there's this scene where there's this couple, there's this like married couple that are in bed together and they're romantically it's like pillow talk, pillow talk, looking forward to like oh, I can't wait till we get to kill those backwards chimpanzees tomorrow. It's insane shit. Like, Holy shit! And the like, way this is the way that they're talking and smiling and being all lovey dovey while they're doing it. It's like yeah. this is just what they kind of think and talk about. Exactly, it's and so un- unfathomable to like. Yeah, people who aren't, like, racist to the core. Yeah. You know? And so you can definitely see how, like, the film... And as the film goes on, these people get, cra- like, more and more, like, crazy, comically racist. Yep. And so you sort of... It gets more and more insane. I think it's, it's and funny because, like, he hams it up I, more and more and more. To you and I, it's comical. Yeah, Because exactly. of how overt it is. Yeah. But I think the really fucked up thing, and, and you know, again, alluding to, to stuff that we can yeah, talk yeah. about in a little while, is that actually... It's not really comical because comical would imply that it isn't necessarily realistic. Yeah, so for that's, some people. And yeah. so that's why I thought it was cool to point that out first. Is that so? This is going to be the heavy spoilers. I All reckon right, there's a bit at the ending that isn't necessarily like a story spoiler, but I enjoyed discovering it on my own, and I think it oh would, yeah, definitely. I think I would view it will the ruin movie. the impact if you it will ruin to the movie first. So here's your warning: go fucking watch the movie. So the the whole movie is this normal '70s cop movie about this guy infiltrating the KKK and it's kind of funny it's a quirky kind of funny cop film um, with these racist undertones but then right at the end after the whole story is wrapped up Spike Lee cuts to five minutes of real life documentary style news footage of those race riots the Charlottesville rallies Charlottesville. In the Reclaim the Riot rally in, in um, Charlottesville in 2017 last year but it's not it's not like fictionalized. It's the actual news footage, and there's like cell phone and hand-held footage, handheld camera footage, and, and you stuff, watch yeah. footage from the rallies. Yeah, and so he shows you like Trump giving that speech where he was like, "Oh, people on both sides they were bad, were, were, bad, were being sides, bad," yeah. and then it shows you like graphic footage of people being beaten to death and being run over with cars yeah. and all sorts of really, gra- really and horrifically saying, graphic like, shit. Not everyone there was a Nazi, overlaid yeah. by a lot of people with like, Nazi flaming flags. torches and Nazi flags. Yeah. Um, and I, the, and the then, most like there's a bit of a bit of a warning as well. Like, yeah. the, or hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've already seen it. But the oh, with the the death of that woman Heather, that um, that like some piece of shit drove a car into a crowd of yeah like, of of people against fascism, and, and there's like woman a focus was murdered on her for as well. You see real uh, footage that I've never seen before. I don't know if they obtained it for this movie, but because I've I've. That's probably I've looked into the, or some shit. I've looked dude. into the Charlottesville rallies <laughs> and I didn't see any shit like that. Yeah. Um, but footage of that woman actually being murdered really by someone. Really graphic, intense just, shit. Yeah. That, but the, so the most interesting thing and the reason why I led, led up to it yeah. like that was that, personally, I found, like, I found the film sort of got more and more comically racist. We're like, oh, this mm. is getting crazy. And then the craziest bit of all was actually real life. Yeah, and I think that really is, is um, for me, the, the, the bit that hit home the hardest was seeing... So the... Um, one plot element in the fictional read, real aspect of the film was that Ron Starworth ends up talking to um, the Grand Wizard of the KKK, David Duke. David who, Duke, yeah, he's still a, he's still actually, affiliated with the KKK. And if you if you don't know anything about the KKK, their leader was is and was actually called the Grand Wizard. <laughs> like it's fucking unbelievable <laughs> yeah. how 
That's the comical shit in yeah. this fucking organization. Was it a grand dragon or a grand, grand wizard? Grand wizard. Grand yeah. dragons also exist. It's yeah. yeah. The, honestly, how these people think of themselves is is like, it's like almost childish. Yeah, it's ridiculous. In its yeah. Fucking, anyway, um, so you, the whole way through, um, you kind of he he's he's running circles around David Duke. And David um, Duke is portrayed as this sort of bumbling, like Walt Disney esque. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why I went for that, but like, no, he a, does. A bumbling, he's not charming, he's not friendly kind any of dignity, guy. Really, but he's not. Yeah, yeah he's not portrayed as sinister, um, in, in any more so than any of the other characters. Which would be like a hell of a. I think it's <laughs> Topher Grace who played David Duke. Yeah, it is. Who I, uh, I'm not familiar. I think he was in that '70s show or something. But a, a hell of a fucking role to get. <laughs> yeah, and he actually. I read an article about how he, he found it so hard to deal with the idea of like being this playing this character that he ended up editing the Hobbit as a, he, he got into the habit of um, as a wind down. He edited the Hobbit trilogy into a single two oh, hour. That was film. that. That's that guy. Oh, yeah, if you've seen that news the article, the character yeah. he plays actually plays. David Duke as this lovely, charming, almost likable kind well, of character. I'll say charismatic. I wouldn't say lovely. Well, <laughs> who, who then switches on the racism as soon as he's yeah, talking yeah, to yeah. a black guy? But yeah. like, a hell of a role to be to be to be lumped. Yeah, with, really I tough think. one if you're if you're not a massive racist. Yeah. So what I was going to say is that um, <laughs> the whole way through, they tried to get a massive racist to play it first. Just so I'm sure you wouldn't have any trouble finding one in Hollywood. <laughs> um, so they tried the whole way through. They've portrayed this like kind of really non-impactful character yeah. as David Duke and you know that he's the leader but he doesn't really do much there the people are the kind of grassroots local chapter people are the far worse yeah. in their actions but then at the end of this film when you're watching this documentary footage one of the people that was um headlining at the alt-right sections of the Unite the Right rally was the real David Duke yeah. who actually was the leader of the KKK during Talking this Talking about of time. how great the movement was and, and about how good screen. Donald Trump is being about yeah, speaking and he, out he about this. And... The, uh, he references the just prior used yeah. footage from Trump's speech and how like he's saying yeah we do need to retake this country and um, and it's insane that this like leader figure that you've kind of had trained in your brain as like oh this can't be a real person then is like, no, yeah. he spoke at a rally last fucking year. Yeah. And what it really does for me was it absolutely epitomized the journey from like, oh yeah, this is in the past to no, it's fucking not. This was last year. Exactly. Like, so it really, right here. it really makes you check yourself. And I mean, obviously part of the film is fictionalized, but there's a lot of very deliberate references to modern politics in the 70s world of the film like so his posters several, and shit up all, yeah. yeah but no what I mean is that like several characters in the KKK in the 70s world of the film say like oh we need to make America great again oh and yeah he's pretty he's pretty overt about there's, it yeah. there's a lot of very specific like America first is another yeah. slogan that they yeah. all say a lot and, and they have a conversation about how like yeah. you could never elect someone like this as president exactly yeah, yeah and that, that, that gets a laugh in the cinema there, there's, yeah. a, there's a line in, in the both film both sessions I've seen it twice both right. sessions people like laughed out loud at how ridiculous yeah. that was where to the 70s or whatever, people are like, oh, you'd never elect someone for president that's so permissible to the alt-right like this or whatever. Mm. And it gets a laugh. Um, it's just... So, and so I watched an interview with uh, Spike Lee on 7.30 Report. He was yeah, interviewed yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for all our Japanese listeners. That's a local news show. Spike Lee was interviewed and they, they asked him about these blatant references to Trump. And yeah. he said he didn't want to make a contemporary period film he said he wanted to make a contemporary period film he didn't just want it to be a dusty old history lesson um 
Mm. And he specifically said, and so they, so they talk, which I think is interesting for a start, the idea that like it shows you this historical film and it then cuts to this modern day footage to show you like, and nothing's changed. Yeah. And the and worst is like today. It's yeah. getting, we, I've showed you this ridiculous shit that you were laughing at how fucking racist it is and what we have is worse. Yeah. Well, like, uh, oh, sorry, you finish Yeah, yeah I'm, okay. <laughs> I've got a couple more quotes here from this interview. And so the interview, the, the journalist was talking about, um, why it is that he had such this overt messaging. Because mm. I was saying, we said before, after we went out of the film, that could have been a great cop film and just been Regardless, left in with these little yeah. hints about modern racism. Yeah. And they wouldn't, wouldn't have, have done had the to, same thing. Because but... it's all just hints right up until this Trump real life Virginia or Charlottesville shit at the end. But he said, he literally said like, oh yeah, so look, for a lot of my movies, I don't like telling the audience what to think because I have too much respect for them to tell them what to think. But with yeah. this film, I, he says, with this one, he made an exception and he specifically said that he made this film to give people an extra push that aren't registered to vote to register to vote to go vote. Yeah, right. And so it's very deliberately timed. I think they're coming up to like uh, primaries or some sort of yep. mid <laughs> midterm yeah, type Yeah, so they're election electing the their state-level representatives that will then go into the election. So they're winding up to it. So yeah. it's a very deliberately politically charged move to yeah, release absolutely. this film at this exact time. And I think that it's it's really cool to go and see. And the reason why I said that'd be a spoiler is that if if someone had told me like it shows you all this really intense shit at the end, I'm, I might have been, been expecting bit... it. It catches you so off guard. Yeah, because what the, the film rest of the does... film is a fantastic '70s cop film, and it ties together really well. And I think it's worth seeing. What definitely. what the movie does is it 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 eases you into it, and you know it builds tension with this KKK narrative, and then it releases that tension. Yeah. And then what it sort of does is it sort of turns on itself. And becomes a bit surreal while yeah. you're still following Ron Starworth. Like it gets, they say, "Great, you've done a good job. Um, disband everything and burn all the evidence." And you know, as an audience member, it's kind of like, "Wait, why?" Like, yeah, what? like he's like police the chief just helped him close. Find like, the, yeah, what's good? Why would you stop now? And it's it's because there's like intervening from above, and then you know, following that on. Um, is when we start getting into this like documentative stage. So it really makes you think that it's all getting better and yeah. feel like you can relax. Right, so I never really thought about and that. Then, so the whole story kind of wraps up yeah. and it shows you like this one black cop in this one little town had this great success yeah. and then it takes it it's all like, away. Look how things are changing for the better. Yeah. And it's like, ac- no, think about what's going on right fucking yeah. now. Things aren't changing for the better. You still need to be doing things, you know? Yeah. Like, you still need to be taking an active part in this stuff. Your job's not done because racism isn't fixed. Yeah, and so I, th- I think that it, it really did get that blend of messaging and storyline across really well. I think it's... I, I really enjoyed it. I mm. would definitely recommend going to go see it. I don't think it's necessarily a film you have to be going to go see on the big screen or anything. But it was No. Worth yeah, it's seeing. not one of those, like, sort of hyper cinematic yeah. like it's not interstellar you know and I, I feel mean? like we've been talking about a lot of racism type stuff it was really good fun as well yeah Um. as as a film to go yeah. and see right up until the ending where I mean, it sort it, of again, felt like a bit of a bummer and I really sort you, of um, forced you to dwell on that really serious social issues right until then it was a really good fun type film yeah I think I think if you're too worried about something hammering home a message about racism <laughs> and uh more worried about it being a good piece of art, you need to yeah. ask yourself kind of why you're afraid of listening to stuff that, yeah. <laughs> that disses racism. But um, but for sure, go check it out. Yeah. I think it was really, really, really fantastic. If you know that that kind of end tone and the messaging of the film is coming before you see it, it won't impact yeah. you in the same way. So hopefully if you're listening to this, you have already seen it. 
Well, see, um, I was motivated to go see it because I thought it was going to be a Tarantino-esque kind of film. Yeah, kind of like it a Pulp had Fiction that, kind yeah, of thing. definitely. And I don't think it was exactly what I was expecting, but I still no, enjoyed it. No, And I yeah. suppose, like, I didn't know what I'm I was just worried into. that, like, after ruining, uh, after saying, like, it's definitely not what I expected it to be that might, like, motivate people to not see it. Yeah, no, uh, But it's, it. it's getting great reviews and it seems it's to great. be doing pretty well. It's so absolutely I'm, fantastic. I'm sure it's doing fine. Yeah. Should we get into a bit of news? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we got, we we got a special edition or... of the news segment. I think I think I think what you've got there counts as news. Oh, does it? Yeah. All right. Oh, maybe we have to have a special film festival edition of the of the of the a little film festival segment. We're gonna have to get some music for it. It'll be our film festival coverage. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Uh, Miff had some really weird fucking films. Uh, <laughs> it, it it did have some really weird films, but it also welcome had to the some Beach really Station International Melbourne Film <laughs> Festival coverage. The Imp coming to, <laughs> coming to you live from Canberra. The weeks afterwards, Andrew, <laughs> yeah. hit it. Yeah. What independent films that we're never getting a chance to see again? Should we try and see? Um. So, well, it was the International Film Festival, not the Independent <laughs> Film Festival, so we've already fucked it up, and that's why I'm the reporter and not you. I got a mini-pass, which enabled me to see 10, count them, 1, 0, 10. We covered the pricing structure of the tickets to the Melbourne Film Festival in great detail last, last week. Episode. Oh, yes. we did, great. So, yeah, um, I saw nine movies, I think, and I probably, <laughs> probably, so... Sixteen bucks wasted. Your mini and didn't you, mate? <laughs> I, I genuinely felt guilt about it. Um, I was like, maybe I should go see something that I don't want to see. Try to give it out on the street. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, just give it up. Okay, so um, this isn't in the order that I saw them, but that doesn't matter to you at all. Um, <laughs> so thanks for mentioning it. I'll mention a couple of them cursorily because they weren't that interesting. Good. But yeah. Uh, Oh, I'll just get stuck into it. So the the uh, the first one that I saw was a, an Australian film uh, called The Merger, which was uh, filmed and shot in Wagga Wagga. Um, filmed and shot in Wagga Wagga. Uh, it wasn't based in Wagga. It was based in a small country town. So it was a small, small country town. Filmed in town. Sydney, but they edited it in Wagga Wagga. Oh, probably. <laughs> no, just... So uh, it was a, yeah, it's a sort of, um, small country town movie about uh, the local AFL community. Oh, I saw that. That was yeah. It's an, yeah that looks yeah. really interesting. And Directed it's about by the, Dave Calhoun. Um, and it's the a, uh, AFL team that gets a whole bunch of migrants to play on the team, right? It was not directed by Dave Callanan, sorry. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Um, it was directed by Mark Grentel, who I think is from uh, a small country town. Um, right. And Damien Callanan, who is a famous Australian comedian, um, that I recognized the face of but hadn't seen any real yeah, work one of, those of guys. wrote the film and he initially wrote it as a theater script. Yeah, okay, He initially right. wrote it as, as, a, as a script for a play and I think that comes across because at times this was very um, very theatrical, yeah. almost uh, pantomime. Yeah. Um, but it was a good little movie. Um, one really cool thing was that afterwards uh, they did kind of a, a Q and A. And that was somewhere um, that the comedian Nick Cody Nick is that Cody was comedian there. we both yeah, <laughs> both so liked that was doing uh, the Q and A for it. Went there, had a chat to him. Was pleasantly Clang. surprised that um, I was as tall as someone who I'd seen in a movie. That was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ah, so right. yeah, th- th- it was a good one. Um, I'd sort of it's not bad to watch. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> This is brutal, but I probably wouldn't go out of my way to see it. Ah, okay. um, but I certainly wasn't unhappy about seeing it. It just, if you've seen Paper Planes or uh, that movie about the dog <laughs> that saves penguins, <laughs> then. I think it's um, a dream you had. No, no, so, no. Here's a question it's an I have Australian about it. Movie. It's because a lot of Australian 
not a lot. Some Australian comedies that I've watched of late feel like they're pretty low budget and that maybe they just got off the ground because like Screen Australia is giving out funding to anything. And as a consequence, it kind of feels like... I guarantee like... you Screen Australia is not giving out funding to anything. Right. That's a, that, that hurts more that like yeah. anything that you're watching probably had to fight fucking tooth and nail for any bit of funding that they could get. What I mean is that there's a lot of comedies you watch and maybe it's just that I'm watching Australian independent comedy type stuff mm. and there's these these types of films exist in every country but obviously I'm Australian so these are the ones I'm watching feel kind of like high school play levels of yeah. comedy yeah. there were parts of this that felt like that and you're like um, oh that's not it that's had not that, that weird funny. tone and all the jokes where, are kind of cringy yeah some of it some of it was genuinely good there were a couple of times when I laughed out loud but yeah. like um, one thing that was weird about it I don't like movies where in the dialogue um, you know how we talked about uh Killing of a Sacred Deer, and yeah. how that Greek director intentionally stilts all of his dialogue. And it was so really unsettling. Every and character deliberately uncomfortable. Their, yeah, um, th- he was doing that on purpose, and it was clear. <laughs> but I think um, I really hate dialogue in movies where they just wanted the joke to really come across really clearly. So what they did was they have the setup and then the punchline, and they're so clearly separated sentences that you have a chance to hear the end of the setup and hear the start of the punchline. Like um, they're in a crowded football tent um, and they do that. It's a fucking cliche. They're they're, they're having this big team get together and everyone's getting really psyched up because they've just won a game or something. And um, <laughs> they're all like, yeah, uh, and they're going around in a circle and they're all kind of yelling things. And then someone like goes way over the top and everyone kind of like quiets down. And then uh, Damien Callanan's character is like, that was a bit much. And it was just like, that's been done. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like, I know that kind of the film industry in Australia is just getting off the ground, but comedy isn't. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't, yeah, it it's, seems especially a bit inexcusable, like, but, but yeah. that's what I mean, that it was very theatrical because that yeah. is how it would be in a theatre production where it has to be that like clear, crisp, if you want that comedic timing, you have to really push it out because, yeah. you know, you can't really have subdued conversation in a, in a theatre. So, yeah, um, worth, worth seeing. Okay. Um, yeah. What was, the, what was your favourite film you saw while you were over there? We might, did, we, did we cover it last week? Uh, my favorite film is Thoroughbreds. I don't know if we I, didn't talk about that. I don't know no, we, we definitely it. didn't talk about that last week. Um, so I guess I, I really want to talk a bit about that one. So um, what I might do is I might mention a few of the other ones that I saw first. Okay, sure. So I saw uh, a movie called um, uh, the English title is Tigers Were Not Afraid, but okay. it's a Mexican film. What was the Mexican um, title? Oh, you fucking me here, <laughs> mate. I can't remember something with tigres in it. El tigre en fuego. That's our fire. I think. <laughs> Um, Yeah, it was a Mexican movie. It was interesting talking... I I was thinking of our commentary on Sicario and how that really didn't um, enter into that, like, uh, Mexican... What it's actually like being It was very American-centric. Yeah, so the uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid is about um, Mexican orphans. Right. um, And how that interacts with, like, gang culture... um, when you don't have a family, um, is there is, are there America? Is there like an American military influence no, in the nothing. film? No, okay, right. it's just Mexican, so um, it's not like a border film or no. Anything. no. And one interesting thing, so I, I did, I I think I've mentioned it on the pod before, but there's a Mexican film called Beautiful, um, which stars that guy that's in No Country for Old Men that plays Anton Chigurh. Yeah, um, I can never remember his name. Yeah, me neither. Um, we were talking about him last week yeah, about yeah, the Bond sure villain, and we fucking yeah, no, I don't remember. Um, 
he is in a Mexican film called Beautiful, and the way that it represents dead people is they float in the uh, air above people's heads. They follow them around, basically haunting them. Terrible. Never interact with them, but yep. it's, yeah, it's really terrifying. This had a similar supernatural approach to people who've died. Right. Um, and it was really, really interesting. A part's absolutely horrifying. But was, was it like a drama, a or film? was it like a... But did you get these ghosts and stuff? It in was the a film? drama, but there were definitely moments that were terrifying. But it wasn't right. a horror movie or, or anything like that. Um, so right. yeah, that was pretty cool. But um, in terms of like supernatural elements, like we had in Hereditary, did it have a bit of that type of stuff? No one's gonna fucking watch this movie. So okay, her right. mother was killed by gang people. Whoa! And um, <laughs> and for the end of uh, or like sorry, for the rest of the movie, whenever she sees her mother, it says you know, um, in Sicario they have like the bodies wrapped in cling wrap so they don't rot yeah um or if they do rot it doesn't smell yeah um her mother is one of those and she's just like this garbage bag wrapped corpse that whose face is completely like rotted off um and she hides in places (laughs) and keeps telling her daughter to like bring to her the guy that killed her yeah um so it becomes like almost this like haunt driven revenge story um (laughs) but the children actors in it are great um, mm-hmm. And I, again, I don't know if that's just because you can't tell if they're shit actors when you're <laughs> yeah, not another speaking language, the language yeah. as them. But I remember um, watching some comedy films in German, um, yeah, and thinking that they were all like the most hilarious one we'd ever seen, just because like just being able the to understand the joke great, is like yeah. just this is the this is the funniest joke ever. Um, yeah, no, nothing like that. Uh, but it was it was subtitled. Yeah, so okay. I saw. So what was that film again? It, uh, Tigers are not afraid. Okay. and it's it's a, I'm pretty sure if you Google that, it'll come Mexican up. film in Spanish. Yeah, if you want to see it. Yeah, yep. cool. Um, yeah, so I also saw uh, a couple of um, uh, big uh, aggregate um, sessions where they show a bunch of short films. Okay. Um, those are called the Accelerator sessions. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... Those are the ones you mentioned last week where they were Yeah, pretty, and I'd have, to give you, I'd have to give you 20 movie titles. No, um, it's okay. There weren't any that really... Uh, oh, there was one good one that's probably on Google if you, if you look it up um, called Tangles and Knots. I'll give people uh, just a bit of a trigger warning as a heads up so trigger warning for rape and sexual assault so I'll give you a sec to opt out if you need to that was Tangles about and knots Tangles and knots okay. yeah um, that was about a mum who's having a you could just a fucking enunciate dude that'd be great <laughs> was about, um, a person's I think 18th birthday party where they clearly have a single mum and the mum is like being real you think the mum's being like real flirty with all of the guys and it's making the daughter super uncomfortable and then the daughter gets fucking wasted and the mum can see that like there's kind of three dudes being a bit kind of funny about all of that uh, hell yeah. and so what happens is like the mum puts her daughter to bed and continues to hang out with these dudes and then they end up raping her and it's kind of like I, I thought that I was watching one movie and then I was definitely not watching the movie I thought I was right so um, it gets pretty heavy pretty because it gets pretty fucking yeah. heavy and I was like oh she baited and switched herself for her daughter so her daughter didn't get sexually assaulted that's crazy I think the, the underlying text there was like those three dudes were going to do that to someone yeah. and she put herself in the way which was kind of insane so that was that was a good one um, yeah, pretty well shot It's there was a real range of like movies where you could you feel like these guys had like oh, this might have been their first movie and they lucked out getting it a myth. Yeah. And then there were a few that were like, Australian people have worked on this professional level short film. Yeah. So there was a big range. Yeah. We probably got time for one more. What was your, what was, so, did we want to talk about your favorite film then? Oh, no. Okay. I got two and I'll split them half half. There's a movie called Thoroughbreds, which is about two girls' friends um, who are incredibly rich. Uh, well, their families are incredibly rich growing yeah. up in like hyper suburban America where people have like 10 acre properties with a house on them. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
one of these girls very clearly is like psychopathic, self-admittedly. Like she just right. doesn't, she, she's having a conversation with her friend and she's just like, they're not, they're kind of off to an uncomfortable start at the start, but then she's just like, yeah, I mean, I don't really feel like joy or guilt. Um, I just don't, I don't get it. I've just gotten really good at, um, pretending like I do feel emotion and that's kind of just how I fit in. Um, and seeing the exploration of that, like there's an exploration of like the experience of emotion between these two girls and it's overlaid on top of how insulated from the real world you are when you're fucking rich. Yeah. Um, and how those two things interplay is really fucking interesting. It's like, um, there's a <laughs> movie, I really relate to it. There's a movie called Heathers, which apparently is sort of similar. Okay. I haven't seen it, but a lot of people compared it. Yeah. Um, an American Psycho. Um, right. So is this like a so like, like a drama kind of thing? like a com- drama like very a black age comedy kind of thing? No, no? black okay, right. black comedy slash drama. Okay. Um, incredibly well shot. Felt like a really nice little project film yeah. where he had a few ideas about the lighting and tone that he wanted yeah. to make. I can't remember who it's directed. It sounds by, like but, in the same way as um, Hereditary had some really distinct like oh Corey Finley, and it was like his first thing. It's right. very strong. Cool. I would, out of all of the movies, I would recommend going going and seeing this one. Thoroughbred. Thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds. Directed, uh, yeah, sorry, made in uh, 2017. So an right. American film. So if you're uh, one of those racist pieces of shit that doesn't like watching <laughs> movies with subtitles, then um, <laughs> then you can watch this one. When I do, whenever the, we go and see a film, my mum will literally be like, so what film did you watch this week? I'll say whatever. And she'll be like, oh, is it an American film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, that one was, but I think that uh, that and Eating Animals were like the only American ones that I watched. Yeah. Um, I saw one called Museum, which was about a uh, Mexican, um, real, based on a real story where people rob a museum in Mexico. Right. Um, no, in Chile, sorry. And that was interesting, but really slow. Like the pacing was very fucking slow. So, right. Um, like a heist kind of thing or what? Yeah. And actually the best scene in it was the scene where um, you painstakingly watch these people dismantle, that they, they like don't cut, they don't cut away... Um, you watch these people like dismantle a museum cabinet and steal this piece of of um, like Chilean Incan or Aztecan art. Okay. And um, Aztecan is that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know Aztec art. Um, and like the just the way that that scene is constructed and shot is really great. Yeah. And then like the next hour could have been like twenty minutes. So yeah, yeah I wouldn't recommend going and seeing that one. The most wait what? I thought you said it was good. It was alright, but I I wouldn't go out of my way. Oh, okay. The pacing was too slow. It was okay. quite. It became boring, and okay. like I don't say that about movies very often. <laughs> so Thoroughbreds was my favorite. Yeah. The most fucked thing that I have ever seen on a screen in my life. And we I also talked about saw. Thoroughbreds two months ago. No, we talked about uh, Hereditary two months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this rivaled. I reckon I felt better coming out of Hereditary. Whoa. Yeah, Hereditary like, was the most fucked thing I've ever seen. Yeah, this will rival it. Actually, you know what? No, Black Klansman was easily one of the most disturbed and one of the most mo- emotionally Black sort Klansman of was moved. The most moving I've been in a film in a yeah, while. For sure, Hereditary was the most like scared I've been of the film. And you're saying this is, this is the most tense and okay. uncomfortable. Rip the bandaid off. What's the name of the movie? All right, so the name of the movie is Climax, and it was directed by Gaspar Noé who's yeah. a French director. Yeah. Um, this won stuff at Cannes Film Festival. Um, this guy is Gaspar Noah's. So you have to read subtitles, though, is it? Uh, it's all in <laughs> French, but don't worry. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in this fucking movie. Shoo, um, just screaming. Gaspar Noah is re- renowned for being a bit of a, um, a bit of a, uh, an edge lord. Um, he sort of does stuff intentionally to bait, yeah. and this is actually one of his less controversial films. And I think that from what I've read, that's uh, a real strength of it because okay. it's not intentionally trying to just like offend you. Yeah. Um, 
it's actually got a really great story. So it's an hour and 35 minutes long. It's a full-length feature. Yeah. Um, and it follows a dance troupe who are of like really young kind of teenagers or young adults who are celebrating before they go on to their tour and start doing competitions. And at this celebration, which takes place in like a rehearsal hall, um, there's a, a table of uh, food and drinks and stuff and there's a punch bowl with sangria in it. And someone spikes the sangria with LSD. This is the thing you were talking about where it gets really weird and sexual oh, and like... yeah. Fuck me, man. So what, what ensues for over an hour and 20 minutes of screen time is 13 people locked in a fucking box having a terrible, terrible trip. And like, it is... The way that it's shot, it, it does the Birdman style thing. Um, it feels like it's all one where take. It's, yeah, it's a lot of continuous editing. Um, the movie was uh, from conception to f- wrapping up production. It was shot in four, uh, completed in four months. Oh, so it's a very short time scale. Four Fil- hours. Filming was fifteen days, which is extremely short. <laughs> well, at least um, it wasn't like filming was three hours. The dude literally just threw a party and spiked the punch. And no, the but it, it fucking feels that way, man. <laughs> it's so naturalistic. I reckon. Here's how fucked it was. I reckon the camera was upside down for 20% of this movie. <laughs> was it a good movie? Yes. I would if if you want to experience a thing that you have never fucking seen in your life and probably won't see anything like. Right. Either go drop a couple tabs or just watch this shit because it was the most fucking incredible thing. It was extremely well acted. Um the way that it followed people through Even though you this can't environment. Even they're speaking French. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just body language. <laughs> um, uh, just the way that it followed people through this environment, um, yeah. the way that it, uh, the, the general camera work, how uh, tense it made you. Um, you would see someone uninterrupted on screen for like six or seven minutes and they would have to have, in that time, they would have interacted with like 10 other people wandering through hallways and all of those people as actors had to hit those beats and have those moments ready. And there was like permanent shit, like a character would rip a curtain off or something right. and they would walk back through the hallway and the curtain would still be on the ground. So all the choreographed so, yeah. shit. <laughs> like this was, the more that you think about how it would have been to make this movie, the more interesting it, it, it yeah. really was to watch. Um, I would recommend seeing this. Go watch Thoroughbreds for a normal movie experience oh, yeah. that I really liked. Watch Climax as a fucking experiment <laughs> on yourself. Okay. That was, I, I was incredibly, I met a stranger in a restaurant after uh, watching Eating Animals and we ended up meeting up with the express purpose of being able to debrief <laughs> because we both watched that Climax film. and oh, we wow. needed someone to talk to about it. Well, I'm, um, I'm sorry I can't be there for you, boy. No, but you, know. but y- you should because this is fucked up. Ah, all right. Well, I think I'm going to watch Thoroughbreds. What was that short film that you said was good? Uh, Tangles and Knots. Tangles and Knots. All right. And oh, then I, I watched one more. Uh, there was Apostasy, which was a British movie actually about um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. Um, if you're interested in like kind of really biographical perspectives, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, and how that integrates with like growing up in the in the UK and being a member of a JW family. Um, it was pretty good. Actually, that was a good one too. Okay, I forgot cool. to mention it. I didn't want to snub it because it was actually a good movie. But well, yeah, Thoroughbreds and Climax, man. Um, insane. Great. Fucking insane. Well, thanks for thanks for the courage of the Melbourne International Film Festival there, boy. It's all good. The Happy things I do for back. you fucking people. Yeah, I was there for right. 10 days, <laughs> locked in a box, and they just showed me fucked up things on screen. <laughs> and I just all kept right. saying, it's for the beef listeners. It's for the beef. <laughs> it's for, for our station. beef boys. 
I gotta uh. get back to the station. I gotta relay this to Oscar. <laughs> sweating. I was reeling you back in. Yeah. All right. It was one of those things where they didn't turn the lights off for ten days. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Should we hit it with the news? Coming back into reality. Yes. Sounds good. Ready for the music? This is breaking news alert. Beef station. Beef bulletin. All right. I got the first story. Oh, yeah. The Meg has made more... <laughs> the fucking Meg. <laughs> the Meg. It, every time... It's too short as a film title. So it actually takes me a few seconds to realize like, that you've oh, referred to yeah. a film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like the Beef Bulletin is now just going to cover the Meg and the Sonic film. Yeah. The end 2018 of time. Jason Statham film, The Meg, about a giant <laughs> shark, Megalodon, is... <laughs> Less than a month into its release, and the prehistoric shark film, The Meg, has already outperformed Solo, a Star Wars story at the oh worldwide box office. God. God. Uh, Jason Statham starring Shark movie, which opened in early August, has earned over four hundred and twelve million dollars globally. Shark it's, it's earned movie. over four hundred and twelve million dollars in less than a month, while Star Wars movie over its uh. over its lifetime run made three hundred and ninety odd million dollars. We both said. Imagine having the Star Wars branding behind yeah. you, putting something out, and, and the nearly Meg a year later you. being beaten by <laughs> a shit Jaws ripoff. <laughs> I mean, and we, fucking believable. we both famously didn't really like Solo oh, very much. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that it didn't make oh, much money. So it's it may well be that that deserves to be the case, but I'm still fucking gobsmacked. Yeah. Also, yeah, found out if you're if you're following the Meg, yeah, um, it's based on a book. There are five books in that series. Holy so shit! <laughs> yeah, how many five books? books? How many books so, can you have? Where it's like, <laughs> I don't fucking know. I'm tempted to read them because, like, how how do you squeeze five books? Books. <laughs> Book three is like, then Tony took off his artificial leg and arm and got on his surfboard and headed right yeah, back out like, into the surf again. How many again. times can you wedge a giant shark's <laughs> mouth open to escape from it? I just don't fucking know. I'm glad know. the mega's gone this time, Tony said, yeah. <laughs> paddling into the Wait, surf. Wait, am I book two or is this book four? I've lost track, seriously. <laughs> oh my God. I it hope just... it's like the last one is in space. <laughs> <laughs> what do you fucking oh it turns out it's immune to lava so it's like the fourth one is just in Hawaii in a volcano it's just the same story but on a different beach in a different country every time that would be great and they've just like control F'd the country <laughs> name and changed the words exactly just changed the colour of the font here's, here's a new story fuck I, this I is cannot a, believe that this we is live a, in hell so this is a two, two part news story because it's an update on a movie I didn't even realise was happening um, you know hell that yeah. de- you know that um, there's a game that came out recently called Detective Pikachu so it was kind Don't of like my heart. a point and clicky adventure kind of thing where, where d- Pikachu, Pikachu is talks by a man who right. sounds like a New York detective. And he's seriously, if you haven't looked into this, Pikachu sound, is like, oh, I'm going to find that. <laughs> We're going to find those criminals. Because he's possessed by the detective that, that owned him at one point. Yeah. Fucking insane. Um, so there's going to be a Detective Pikachu movie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and the- that's rivaling Green Hill Zone, dude. And the Pokemon in it are going to be depicted as photorealistic. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. It's going to be the new Donk City thing. Direct, That's going to be terrible. Director Rob Letterman revealed over the weekend at the 2018 Pokemon World Championship in Nashville, Tennessee. Why is the name so Rob Letterman thing, familiar to me? Um, that the Pokemon will be rendered <laughs> rendered photorealistically and made to look like living creatures. Oh, They're incredibly real, God. he explained. That's going to be mortifying. You should think of it as the way Marvel Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy's character Rocket Raccoon sits in the movie as if he's really there. It's that technology. Oh, well, that looks all right. 
I mean, I don't think the f- screenshot you're seeing is actually the photorealistic one no. because this movie hasn't been announced yet. God, but dude. that will be fucking crazy. I look That's forward insane. to seeing that. This guy direct. Oh, this is the same director as Shark Tale. Oh my god, Ryan Reynolds is the voice of Detective Pikachu. Yeah, that's right. I remember hearing about this. I remember hearing about this. Ryan fucking Reynolds, I'm watching this movie. Someone someone has set up a fake news site to punk us. I am the second... This is the second most excited I've been since I found out that the Sonic movie was live action. (laughs) I fucking cannot wait for either of these movies. Okay, so uh, next story. Ready? Yep. Uh, you know that we talked about Joaquin Phoenix, that Joker film that's coming out. Yeah, yeah. There was a news story coming that came out the other day that said that Alec Baldwin has joined uh, the Joker film oh, to play that, yeah. uh, Thomas Wayne, the okay. father of Bruce Wayne, right. yep. which seems interesting. And there was well, a bit of... Bit of... <laughs> I guess he's probably not going to be in the movie mm. for very long. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it's funny you say that because <laughs> the next story is... Uh, Alec Baldwin tweeted out the other day that he is no part of the Joker film at all. He has not been cast to play Thomas Wayne, which is weird because the previous story okay. was Warner Brothers formally announcing, like, we'd like to announce that uh, Alec Baldwin is in what? our film. And then Alec Baldwin tweets out the other day, let me state for the record that I have not been hired to play a role in Todd Phillips' Joker as Joker film as some sort of Donald Trump mank. That is not happening. Not happening. What the so now fuck? I don't know what the fuck is going on, because what? Yeah, I know. So he was announced that he will be in this film, and like three days later, um, he was like, oh, "How do they? No, I'm not." What had <laughs> what had to be fucked up for that to become reality? Here's the craziest bit. Like they start shooting to September 10th. That's less than two weeks away. Right. They're going to have to learn how to clone Alex Baldwin. <laughs> so who the fuck is playing that That's role? That's crazy. Isn't that confusing as shit? That's, yeah, he, he is he joking? I don't know. <laughs> it's all part of it. Also, I saw here, um, so um, Baldwin joins a growing cast, or not, that includes Robert De Niro and Mark Maron. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is a big fucking movie. Really weird. Yeah, what the fuck Mark cool. Maron's doing in that? Mm. Um, right, okay. So that was, that was our little... Alec Baldwin confusion there. Um, they've announced who's going to be playing Charlie Charles Manson in the new Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, yeah, movie. Cool, cool. It's Damon Harriman, who's some Australian actor that I've never really heard of. But it, it, it sounds like he's been in other shit before. He's been in, like, Breaking Bad and a couple of other things. There's a little bit, little bit parts. House of Wax. Okay. Um, but, uh, oh, he was in yeah. The Little Death. Yeah, so so that's, he's, that's he's been in a few movie. little things, so this sounds like this might be one of those actors that gets, um, like, really... This might be his big break. Re- it might be his big break, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, he we have... has been in nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we have uh, not very much news about this Quiet Place sequel, other than the fact that it's going to be a sequel oh, yeah, to yeah. A Quiet yep. Place, and I'm it's going to come out I'm in 2020. I'm worried. Oh, that's a long time. Um, we said before that, um, yeah, it is a long time, and the guy, the, the producer, or whoever Jesus, it is, Damon that's... Harriman looks a lot like Charlie Manson. I'm just looking at photos <laughs> does, now. That's a good. It. That's good fucking casting. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah, but Charlie Manson looks fucking crazy. So it's like when looks, you get, he's when, dead, when, man. You know, yeah, it's like when you get like an actor that's cast in a film that's like a, clearly supposed to be like a big ugly guy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, what do the ads say? Like, yeah, it's like you look like an insane serial killer. Yeah, uh, well, it's probably just need someone to play Charles Manson if you look like exactly. Charlie Manson, get your agent on the phone. <laughs> so, I mean, from the sounds of it, um, this bloke that's starting this uh, Quiet Place sequel says that he really cares about it and that the studio's not rushing him or anything, which okay. is why they're saying 2020. So all right. Maybe it'll be all right. Maybe and it says that, that yeah, John Krasinski is going to be involved in some way. Probably but e- also executive like, producing or something. It doesn't yeah. really feel like that movie needed a sequel. I think I'd be interested no. if it was a prequel. Yeah. If it was a prequel, I'd be interested. Or yeah. if it was... 
Big risk that it's just a shitty disaster movie then. I mean, actually, it could just be a film set in that same world, but set anywhere else. That'd be yeah. really interesting. Because you think... can have a different family that deals with that in a different way. Yeah. Like, maybe they don't know how to sign language, so there's I, a I whole other way of doing it. The more interesting part of that movie was before the aliens are involved. It's the world building Yeah, and I reckon it. if yeah. they focus really heavily on that, then they could still get something out of it. Yeah. That could be good. And so I, right. I would be interested if it was a prequel. It's going to be shit. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I, I hope that it's either a prequel or it's... In that same world, but like a totally different cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Or like maybe the kids, but 20 years later. That'd yeah, be cool. that's hammy. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, 20 years later, they'd be dead. The final bit of story, usually we end on some crazy story. This isn't a crazy story. Sorry, I kind of paced it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't do the news segment that much. Um, the final bit of news we had sent in was sent in by, listen, a Callum. Not that Callum. Oh, okay. Different Callum. Yeah, yeah. Um, who has sent us a bit more the Danny... The other Callum. The other Callum. Who's <laughs> sent us a bit more um, uh, James Bond news. Sources oh. say Danny Boyle left Bond 25 because he refused to kill off 007. Wow, shit. Yeah. What? Yeah. So we don't have very much okay. information about <laughs> There's this. There's a lot to unpack there. So it says... That um, means that someone wanted to kill off 007. So this is an article from GQ. It says, Boyle's decision to walk out was officially announced as being due to creative differences, but according to an insider who spoke to an English tabloid, The Sun, oh, quote... Well, this is not true. <laughs> if it was published in The Sun, it's total fucking shit. <laughs> the quote is, uh, there were discussions about killing off Bond in, dr- in a dramatic fashion at the end of the film. There were clashes over budget and there's pandemonium amongst the crew with people leaving the production left, right, Yeah, this center. sounds like The Sun. According to said sources, both... Craig himself and producer Barbara Broccoli, who has largely ruled over the production, wanted James Bond, as we know it, to meet his end. Um, we'd leave it open yeah. for a next installment. It'd well, either my be guess like is that that's going to be a Doctor yeah. Who style thing where they. That's want... literally what they say here. So yeah. they said that either Bond hadn't died, or there'd be like a Doctor Who style regeneration with a new yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because I've never 007, done that with any other ones. He's not named 007 because he, of who he is. He's named 007 because that's his job. So yeah, but like, so I think the that's idea never is clearly that articulated. Daniel some people Craig say like could die. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. So some people like to say, "Oh, it's always a different person, but they have the same code name." Yeah, I think it's more like a more like a like no, the character is just played by different people. Yeah, I this is the opposite I don't of what this, I'm normally yeah. like. But you do not need an answer to that fucking question. Exactly. I don't think it. I don't think like, the James Bond. Why is it a different person? Has any yeah. mythos That's within the world the of the problem film. with James Bond? I think it'd know? be interesting, yeah. and I definitely see yeah. that. Like, because Daniel Craig films definitely marked a very distinct change in tone from mm. Bond films. Yeah, so they if got they some wanted, really interesting like, directors on board. It, I think yeah. I read someone. I read somewhere. Someone somewhere saying that um, it was almost like a response <laughs> to incredible source. something somewhere <laughs> at some point. There was something written on a wall. <laughs> past, or maybe there's a toilet <laughs> stall. And they would yeah. And they were talking about how perhaps the really serious, gritty James Bond was a response to the Austin Powers films that were almost <laughs> okay. almost spoofing That's how... That's the best thing to come out of well, Austin yeah, Powers. Almost spoofing how silly James Bond was. Yep. And so James Bond got really serious. And also, like, and probably more realistically, a reaction to, like, James Bond... Fuck, Jason Bourne yeah. movies and all those sorts of really intense, gritty, kind of Mission more real stuff, yeah. kind of action films. Exactly. Um so if that if, if that's what they wanted to do is kill James Bond in the film and start it in a completely different tone, I'd be open mm. for that. Mm. Um, but I'm really enjoying the way they're going at the moment. So, I mean, I don't... Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I think it's pretty obvious that the next James Bond is probably going to be some form of minority representation, which is a I mean, good thing. I think so, all we've had is just people on the internet wanting it to be Idris Elba. I don't know whether that's Yeah, but I think, the like, case, there was also like, talks about it being a woman. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, like... 
it's about time it, it wasn't just a white dude. I mean, I saw um, someone talking about how like um, or at least whether that would be. That wasn't yeah. a white dude. <laughs> and again, this is two white dudes talking about this. But like, I saw someone talking about. I saw my friend of mine on Facebook, and hey she man, was I'm being an ally. <laughs> exactly. Uh, she was talking about how like, is it that good for women to cast James Bond as a woman? Wouldn't you want uh, more more films to be made with women? Well, obviously, it would be Jane. Intend, <laughs> like stupid. W- wouldn't you want people to be making the, like new stories for women instead of just yeah, like, like shoehorning? Oh, and, you like, can have the man character exactly. now that we're done with and it. And be like, yeah, see, yeah, yeah, see, true. we do care about you. We, we're used. We're, we're giving yeah. you this. And it's like surely it'd be more empowering to have fantastic news stories and franchises mm. made. Well, like Atomic Blonde. With, with, that sort it's of basically thing. Like, a Bond movie, but I, with yeah. and I mean, Charlize Theron. I can't think of anything specifically, which is why it's I a just problem. Gave <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, I mean, like big, huge franchises, which yeah, is yeah. why it's a problem. But well, like, here's what they could do. I don't know none whether of the ideas in a James yeah. Bond film, like the Daniel Craig ones, had a bit of thematic continuity. But yeah. most of the time, the James Bond movies don't have any continuity between them. Exactly. So here's what you can do: take a James Bond script, gut all of the references to it being a James Bond movie. Cast a woman or a black dude or someone else, yeah. you know, any fucking just realistic, like minority representing character, if that's yeah. what's appropriate, and then use the storyline with a new character. Exactly. Yeah. I think I think that's with probably an actual legitimate character development that's influenced exactly. and collaborative. Exactly. Well, I, I, th- I mean, again, that not, is much better, not yeah. really knowing much about it. I think personally, that seems like it'd be a, b- a better option than just saying like, oh no, we made it a woman now, so we're fine. It's yeah. like, well, no, it doesn't change the fact that like most of the, a, a large majority of stuff that comes out of Hollywood at the moment is biased towards men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You're right. It's it's a band-aid. That would be a band-aid fix. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, um, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like if they focus their marketing and shit on like making it like, you know, from the producers of James Bond from the studio that brought you James Bond. Like, this is the next James Bond film. It just doesn't look like James Bond. You're going to have all the, like, white dudes just being like, <laughs> but everyone else would be fine. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, so that's the that's the news. Oh, I got one week. more bit of news. Yeah? I posted it to the Facebook page, but if you guys don't check that, then you might not have seen it. <laughs> um, there is a Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, that uh, atomic duo <gasps> film. Yes, I saw this. Oh, about Sherlock boy. Holmes and Watson. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, and it's called Homies. <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> Hom- <laughs> Homies. I realize that's what it's called. And that's I'm going to so show funny. you. I'm going to show you a poster. Did you see the I poster? I saw the poster. Yeah, so They're throwing up gang signs with H and W. For anyone that wasn't sure, because John C. Riley is literally always the side. <laughs> <laughs> Will Ferrell is Sherlock Holmes. And John C. Riley yeah. is Dr. Watson. Say what it's you will about Will Ferrell. He's, he's Look at this shit. This, oh, man. <laughs> We're looking at a photo. Good will visual Ferrell gag for listeners. A goofy old there's, there's Will Ferrell wearing the classic cap with a pipe and John, John C. Riley, Riley wearing the thing with a mustache. Like, <laughs> Say what you oh will about Will God. Ferrell. He's fucking funny. Uh, he can he be. some shit films. He's done some unbelievably bad films. But, Elf I mean, people talk was about... one of the worst movies yeah. I've ever seen. No, well, one of the worst experiences I had <laughs> as a kid. So I'm a big fan of Will Anderson's podcast, and he talks a lot about how he doesn't think he's no very... No cross-promoting. Okay. <laughs> he, he talks a lot about how he doesn't believe that he's a very funny person, but he knows how to be funny if he needs to. Right. And so he says, like, some people know how to be funny, and some people... And, and so, like, if you sort of... 
give them something to work with, they know how to make that funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people bring funny to the table, and they're going to be funny no matter what. And it doesn't matter what you give them. They're just funny people. They're, like, funny in their bones. Yeah. And I think that Will Ferrell is one of those people who is, like... Will just Ferrell an, is funny in his bones. An innately funny person. And it doesn't matter what you do or where you sit him. He's yeah. so funny. Because, like, I want to hate him. Yeah. I really do. I and I hate some of his work. But honestly, I've seen some really great shit. Oh, you know, like yeah. he had some classic moments in Zoolander. My favorite Will Ferrell thing. He was Will good Ferrell in the thing. Lego movie. Yeah. There's a, there's a Saturday Night Live skit that he's famous for doing. And it's, I don't um, think I've really seen any. Uh, so he does a Saturday Night Live skit with Amy Poehler, I think. It's Amy Poehler. Where they play this like old German couple at a holiday resort. Uh, I might have seen screenshots of it. And it's like a... Without just describing a skit, he's very, he's very, they're they're all naked in a tub, him and his German wife, and then Jimmy Fallon's there as well, yep. and he's like deliberately trying to make Jimmy Fallon laugh in the skit, and he's like, the whole skit is like a skit that's very scripted, and Jimmy Fallon is almost cracking the whole time because Will Ferrell's just deliberately trying to make Jimmy Fallon laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so he's so funny. Yeah. Well, hopefully they get a good <laughs> screenwriter, <laughs> oh, because um, so. otherwise it'll just be another step. Brothers, yeah. I see. I didn't really watch Step Brothers, but I'll I'll, I'll watch this. It wasn't good. <laughs> okay. I'll watch this. Yeah, I'll I think... watch it too. But I reckon it's going to be a fucking train yeah. wreck. Um, <laughs> I think we'll we should see. we should close out by saying yeah, that um we we had promised that this week will be our Crazy Rich Asians special. We, we tried. We tried. We tried. On top of the fact that the movie apparently technically wasn't even out yet, yeah. the sessions we that were, were there, in a cinema, we didn't even trying, buy tickets for. We were in a cinema trying to see Crazy Rich Asians <laughs> and couldn't, okay? So, so we fucking tried. Get so the fuck off our back. The day we work out how to fucking buy a ticket and look up the release date for a film is the day of the early hour coverage on Crazy Rich Asians. Probably next week. Who knows? Yeah. Probably We not. don't. <laughs> I've been Oscar. I'm Andrew. Have a good week.